My name is Tom Kay, and I lead our team here at Crossroads. And um, it would take a whole lot more than a pair of sunglasses to make me look cool. Um, I had some unexpected eye surgery done on Thursday morning. So the, that's why the, the sunglasses are there for. You're good because you don't want to look at what's going on up here. And for my good with the sunlight and stuff. So um, quick explanation there. This morning, we continue on in our Problem of God series. And our topic this morning is sex. Um, and if you knew that that's what we were talking about, I'm sure you came here with some preconceived notions of what I may or may not say. Um, you, maybe you even had the thought that, well, this is church. We shouldn't be talking about sex and church, right? Appropriate people don't talk about religion, sex, and politics out in public. Well, I'm probably going to hit all three of those today. So um, maybe you thought I was going to come from the angle of sex is dirty, vile, and filthy, so you should save it for the one you love. Or, um, <laughs> or if you are at all familiar with the movie Mean Girls, you might have thought you'd hear Coach Carr if you have sex, you'll get chlamydia and die, period. Um, but that's not how we're going to go. We're not going to go that route. Uh, and I'm sure whatever I say this morning, there are going to be some who feel um, that I came across as far too liberal. And there are going to be some that I feel that I've come across as, as far too conservative. Um, personally, there is a space that people who follow Jesus are supposed to occupy that is neither liberal nor conservative. And sometimes that's referred to as living as exiles. And let me explain that. We live as exiles because we know our home is in heaven with Jesus. Yet for reasons beyond our control, we cannot be there with him yet. And so we live in this far off land that oftentimes has cultures and practices that are very different than what Jesus would teach us and, and how, he would, how he would have us live. Um, and so we get, we get caught in the middle. But Jesus was a master. He was the master at living in this tension and this awkwardness between, between grace and truth. And we're a Christian means follower of Christ. We're supposed to be followers of Christ. We're supposed to follow him into that awkwardness, into that tension, into that area between grace and truth. And that's what I'm going to try and do here this morning is I'm going to try to make us as, as tense and an awkward and uncomfortable. Um, <coughs> that I am going to try to lead us into that area of grace and truth. And that's where I want to try to lead us as a community on an ongoing basis into that place of, of grace and truth. And I'm not going to be sure if I'm going to be able to read this off of the back of the, the screen or not. Um, so I'm going to give you my rough paraphrase because I have no idea what that says up there just by trying to read it. Um, but the church and culture both have mishandled sex. Sex is a gift from God. It's a gift from God that is meant to um, remind us of him, that it was meant to point us to him. That's for our good and for, and for his glory. And we've got, to, we've got to figure out how to do a better job at, at addressing it. And, and how to have conversations about it. So we're just going um, to dive right in. And I'm going to take this from the biblical perspective. Sex, that the physical act of sex is meant to be both practical and pleasurable. right? The continuation of the species. Man and woman come together, they have a child. It's practical. 
Um, it was also God's built-in plan for the multiplication of his kingdom because the assumption was that men and women would come together and have a child and that they would raise that child to grow in the faith so the kingdom of God would grow. It's also, um, you know what, I'm, I, if you guys just run the slides for me, try to keep up with me as best you can. I just shut that off. Thank you, Adam. Um, so that was, that was from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2 tells us about how um, this union between man and woman, right, is, is like almost becoming one person. Physically, the act becomes one person. But it's this entirety of giving yourself over to another, to another person. Emotionally, psychologically, physically. One of the words I read was ontologically. That means with all of your being. Just to give yourself over over to someone. Um, there are parts of the Bible, like the, the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, sometimes called, in the, in the Old Testament, that if the Bible were to be turned into a movie, it would, it would get the Bible an R rating. The, the Song of Solomon tells us in several different places that the physical act of sex is meant for um, our rejuvenation. It's meant to strengthen us. It's meant to refresh us. The New Testament talks about how sex, again, from referring back to those Genesis passages, that it's supposed to be the act of you entirely giving of yourself wholly to another person. With everything that you have, it's an act, it's an act of giving. The other thing that I love about the New Testament is it says you're supposed to have sex often. You're not supposed to withhold sex from your marital partner. It's not supposed to be a negotiating chip. It's not supposed to be something you use to hold the other person hostage. Right, so sex is both practical and pleasurable. Um, sex was meant to be a good thing and not the ultimate thing. So when I was an adolescent, a teenager, there was a period of time when I felt like I was the only person, great above me, great below me, that was not having sex. And because I thought that, I felt like there was something, I was missing out on something and not only that I was missing out on something, but there was something wrong with me. And because I had that, those feelings and those emotions, tie that all up with a bunch of 15, 16, 17-year-old hormones, I made some decisions that I couldn't undo. I made some decisions that I regret. And here's the, here's the thing of it, is after I made those decisions, I still felt like I was missing something. Something still felt wrong. And it's because I tried to make a good thing, sex is a gift from God meant to be a good thing, and I tried to make it the ultimate thing. I felt like I was missing something. I took the hole in my heart that was reserved for Jesus, the space in my life that Jesus wants to fill, and I gave it over to sex. And here's, what's hap here's what happens when you try to make a good thing the savior of your life you will crush that good thing under the weight of the unmet expectations that it could never, ever deliver. So I, I had this, I'm like, oh my gosh, these magazines and media and my friends, my friends lied to me. None of that stuff, none of that, those messages that I was getting were true. The gift of sex is a, is a good thing, and it's meant to be part of our identity. Our sexuality is not 
our identity. It doesn't reside solely in our, our sexuality. It's a big part of it. Yes, it's an absolutely a big part of it, but it does not make up our identity in, in its entirety. So sex is meant to be a good thing, and it's not the ultimate thing. And we try to make it an ultimate thing, we damage it. And sometimes, unfortunately, it can, be, um, it can feel like it's beyond repair, but in Jesus' grace, all things are, are redeemable. Sex is practical, pleasurable, it's a good thing. It's also very, very symbolic. God gave, a, gave us the gift of sex to point back to him. God is perfectly, perfectly faithful. And when the Bible talks about a sexual relationship, it's in the context of a perfectly faithful, monogamous relationship. So it points to him. Um, another, another way that sex is symbolic of who God is and, and what, he, what he offers is um, this idea of, of covenants. Covenants are holy contracts. And they, sex is, is a reminder not only of the marital covenant, but it's a, a reminder of God's covenant with his people. The, covenant that, the covenants that God made throughout the Old Testament and that were made new in the New Testament with Jesus' death and, and resurrection. The covenant that was written in his blood. A covenant of faithfulness. A covenant of Jesus giving of himself entirely to others, to us, to each of us. And lastly, it's symbolic in that um, sex is a good thing and it is enjoyable. And it's meant to point to the inexplicable joy that we will all experience when we meet Jesus in heaven. There's no experience on earth, sexual or otherwise, that is going to compare to what it feels like when we stand before Jesus in heaven and we meet him. And that is the state in which we get to spend eternity. And finally, um, I would say that sex is an appetite, but it's not just an appetite. It's not um, like thirst or, or hunger. Sex is the single most personal, intimate way that one individual can express love for another. Sex is a sacred act. Sex is a gift given by God. Sex is highly symbolic of God and how he feels about us and what he offers. And because of those things, it is not merely an appetite that whenever we feel like, hey, I want sex, I should go try to fill that need. God being God in his sovereignty and omniscience, when he designed sex, he thought of every single piece of it and he understood every single piece of it and he knew how we would respond to it, including our inclination, our tendency to use and abuse the gifts that he gives us. And so he put it within a specific context. And biblically, the context for the physical act of sex is between a man and wife. And it's within that relationship. So that makes any other type of sex outside of God's design. That makes premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, pornography and masturbation. All of that is outside of God's original design for what sex was meant to be. So um, I realize, um, and I 
have been praying all week, weeks actually, um, about those words that just came out of my mouth because I realize how loaded they are, especially as we walk around today in 2019. Um, I understand the implications of, of what I say. And um, some of you may be sitting there thinking, man, he is so close-minded, or worse. Uh, some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know, I, I agree with you, but in today's world, I, I really don't feel like I can do anything about that, never mind voice how, how I feel. Um, some of you might be sitting there just feeling really threatened and angry because somebody or something else is trying to tell you what to do or how you should live. You feel like your autonomy is being, is being threatened. And those are all very reasonable responses. Um, I do not begrudge anyone any one of those, of those responses. Um, but again, I, I tried to preface this and warn us that we're going to step into some, some awkward tension um, and to try to find this space between grace and truth that Jesus, that Jesus leads us into. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to punt. Um, I am going to, uh, I'm going to run a video. It's about 11 minutes long of a guy named Ravi Zacharias. He's a brilliant author, speaker, apologist, and he's going to, um, he was asked in a question and answer about the kind of the, the loaded side of the, the topics of marriage and the biblical, biblical concept of marriage. So we're going to watch the video, 11 minutes, um, being used by permission of Christ Community Chapel. I talked with them. They're happy to, happy to let us use it. And then I'm going to get back up here and I'll, I'll finish up our conversation.